Hello. This is Everything Else, the FT Culture Podcast. I'm Al. And I'm Grizz. Today we'll be picking the brain of comedian Phil Wang. Please welcome to the stage, Phil Wang. So, Phil, no one told you before I just came up with the idea, but this is about Phil Wang and comedy on demand, being funny on demand. Um, Okay, I'm going to disappoint you. Well, (laughs) I would like to start with asking you just to be funny on demand. This happens all the time, and it never works out well. It's your job, no? I guess it is my job, but the demand is often given with uh, warning. Uh, So you know when the gig is, you know the circumstances around the gig and you can prepare today I was just told come to this field <laughs> that's not quite true you. though is it <laughs> oh, <laughs> true, Phil. Um, there were more details I, I, <laughs> I do you guys a disservice uh, there was a time given as well so so Phil you often start shows or at least shows that I have seen of yours by introducing yourself why is your your name central to your comedy um, because then people can look me up. They it, can also I, read I, the program. Yeah, I don't know, maybe this makes me unique here, but I've always used my name as something of a, an identifier. <laughs> but that's just... A, How I unusual. Guess I, I guess I'm an egomaniac <laughs> like that. I do say Phil Wang, my name's Phil Wang, Phil Wang, a lot at the start of a set. You it's do? Start, yeah. It Is did that for a lack of material elsewhere? It's, yeah. it's to find the level... It is also to kill some time. Okay. Well, my first Apollo appearance, which is two years ago now, and my thinking was just, well, people find the name Wang in- inherently funny. And I, why? I, why? Because it means penis here, apparently. Okay. Wanger. Yeah. Wang. No, Wang. Wang uh, also Wang. means penis. Okay. also means to throw something. I think in the West Country it means to throw something. Um, it's a good sort of punchy name. In Chinese it means king. But the majesty is lost somewhat here. And so I just say Phil Wang a lot because then it ingrains my name in people's heads and it come, people come away from the set remembering my name because I say it to a tune, I say it to a rhythm and then they can find me Could on you just online. quickly say it to a tune and a rhythm? Phil Wang, Phil Wang, Phil Wang, Phil Wang. I mean, that's a ro- pretty rudimentary Can we have a quick tune. round of applause for that? Thank you. Thank you. Um, but it yes, kind of goes to threat. the... Sorry, it goes to the heart of what a lot of your comedy is about, which is about race and identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. It's always been very fascinating to me, race. I'm a mixed race. My, my father's Chinese-Malaysian. My mother's, you know, from Stoke. So she's which a white side lady. do you prefer? Sorry? Which side do you prefer? Which side? As in which parent? Yeah. Um, I don't know. If I need a bit of quiet dad... Because it's very stoic. If I need some emotional support, mum, I suppose. But that's a pretty classic arrangement. Absolutely. Yeah. Or do you mean Stoke or Malaysia? I meant Stoke or Malaysia. Oh, I see. I, I only spent a week in Stoke when I was born. That was enough. That was, well, yeah, I, I asked to leave. <laughs> but, but generally, would you say that you like a good racial stereotype? I love a good racial stereotype. Yeah. But would you mean a positive one? No. I oh. I just imagine well, that... Uh, that it's, some, it's something that you talk about a lot in your, in your comedy. Yeah. It's something which you must have faced and decided that rather than be angry or upset about it, that you've, you've taken it on yes. head on. I think that's the best way to overcome a prejudice. Mm-hmm. As a starting point is to own it, right? And to come to know. 
to <laughs> to to win the authority over it. Yeah, I have the same uh, problem as a sort of privileged white male. Yeah, but I mean, that, I think in like ten years, that would be a genuine disadvantage, especially at least in That's the media in the media sphere. If I have anything to do with it. Um, but like racial stereotypes I find are an interesting thing because they're this thing that we're all aware of and we all act upon but also simultaneously act like we aren't aware of and despise even though we're all aware of them and secretly agree with some aspects of them. The, but that's just bigotry in general, right? And I, I find bigotry very interesting because we, we're, we're so nervous about appearing to be bigoted in some way that we forget, we don't notice that bigotry is a scale upon which we all occupy a position, and that position changes. But in the times that we live in now, we like labeling, so we say, you, you are a racist, you are a misogynist. Well, no, I'm a bit racist sometimes, and then I'm a bit sexist in the morning, but I get better. You know, it's... And I think about, it's about you have to own the ugliness inside yourself. So, and not so if, it, if it's a sliding it. scale, is the scale moving... I mean, has it in the course of your career as a comedian, have you seen things changing? In society or within myself? Well, I was meaning generally in the kind of reception of audiences. Mm. Are people more bigoted now, is what I'm asking. Uh, no, I think people are as bigoted as they, as they ever have been, but are now more secretive about it. Or in some cases, more open about it. I don't know, to be honest, Chris. It's a, these are complicated times. Some people are very nervous and will not laugh at any of my racial jokes. Some people laugh almost as a catharsis because, you know, at least someone is being open about the obvious differences between people. But I don't know. I don't, I'm afraid I don't have a cogent answer, really. Um, can we go back a little bit? You, you studied engineering at Cambridge University. Yeah. Um, that strikes me as a, a very natural path then towards being a stand-up comedian. Is that right? Yes, well, this does surprise people that I studied engineering at university, and the, the, the comedy is... Did a, you finish your degree? I did. I got a master's. Congratulations. I didn't want to get a job for another year. But people are surprised I took up engineering because it, se- it seems irrelevant to comedy, but it actually is very relevant. I think it's actually put me in a better position than most of my uh, friends who study humanities because comedy and engineering are essentially both about logic. And a, a joke is the betrayal of logic. You build up a logical world, and then you break it at the end. And engineering's the same without the breaking bit. Is that, do you consciously think of that as you write and construct a joke? Yes, I think so. This is like engineering's the mechanics structure. of a joke. There, there are mechanics, there are structures, there are patterns. It's pattern spotting, like in mathematics. You that's, know? that's something which you, did you identify as you're writing it. It's not just a subconscious thing. Um, I don't think it was that conscious. Although, I, during university, I entered this state of uh, cognitive uh, uh, mixing. What's the word when you see a color? Oh, no, when, when you like Cognitive hear colors? dissonance. No, it's um, synesthesia. I entered a state of synesthesia when, uh, during the end of my um, course, when, in which I, if, if I was doing a mathematical problem, an engineering problem, and I got the right answer, I would hear laughter in my head. <laughs> I was going mad, basically. I was going mad. My, two, my double life was starting to, to turn me insane. But engineering and learning about logic... And understanding logic has really helped me. Where a humanities degree would have helped would have been things like cultural reference points and vocabulary and literature. Irrelevant. Yeah, I'm trying to catch up on all that now. It's taking quite a long time, but but at least I've got the groundings, the mechanics of comedy, you know, well-rooted. When did you first realize you were funny? I don't know. Was it a a realization? 
TBEC. I still, I'm st it's still not confirmed to me. That's why comedians do comedies, because we, we want to be sure that we are funny. If any of us ever were convinced, we'd stop doing it. Do you think that makes comedians essentially quite neurotic people? Oh, yeah, very neurotic. But I think you have to be neurotic, neurotic to, to point out the absurdities in life and the inconsistencies. If you have a nice life, you, you know, you can't joke. What are you going to joke about? You know, there's things aren't funny because you're like, oh, shopping's in and <laughs> the, the day's, it's out nice outside. That's why I think <laughs> British people are very... Funny, I think, you know, and, and really value comedy is because there's always something wrong with this country. But, it, but it's a grueling it, path to take, isn't it? I mean, you know, you, no comedian is good from the beginning. You know, you're going to be doing five-minute slots in places like Stoke. You're going to go through several years of trauma, surely, when you're being booed on stage <laughs> and such like, until you reach the sort of absolute upper echelons of comedy which you now occupy. Is that yeah, right? you know, the air's pretty thin up here now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had a pretty easy so go. Why of would it. anyone choose to do it? it, I, it I so had, difficult. I right? had a pretty easy go of it. I, I was able somewhat to bypass uh, the terrifying London open mic circuit because I went to Cambridge, and Cambridge has a long and proud comedic history. You were president uh, of the Footlights, is that mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. I was in the, under Cambridge Footlights, and on top of that, loads of colleges had their own gigs. I started my own gig in my college, and so there was almost a circuit going on at university, and I was able to um, practice comedy in a very supportive atmosphere for four years and so it came out of that practiced and confident in a way that I, I don't know if I would have enjoyed had I had to go through the the grueling open mic process in London so I was I, I recognize I was definitely very lucky basically you, you find out you're a comedian the first time you bomb at a gig if you bomb and you go back you're a comedian do you have a great bomb that you that has scarred you oh Pick one. I've got so many. I once had to follow um, at, a, at a festival in a field in Essex, Brown Cow Festival, which no one has ever heard of. I'm starting to be convinced it doesn't actually exist. And it was just a, this was just a fever dream I suffered. I had to do two separate 10-minute spots. I had the only tents left open at 1 a.m. and then 3 a.m. Um, I was the only comedian on in the bill, which is never a good sign. And I had to follow a burlesque stripper. <laughs> Each time, she would get down to her nipple tassels to a crowd of braying, I guess is the word, Essex geezers, who was at the peak of their excitement, only for her to get off stage and for the host to go, and now a comedian. <laughs> and I've never come on to a more unwelcome... Think an, you don't think an Essex geezer is your natural fan base? No, I'm not going to start. I'm pretty safe as Hampstead. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't. There are no Essex geezers allowed no. at this <laughs> festival. No, Apart I'm from your best friend Nathan Brooker. Um, Nathan? Who, oh, it's Nathan yeah. from Essex. Uh, yeah, I don't want to cast to aspersions on an entire region of the country. But um, do you get nervous going to some. I mean, some comedians say, I get nervous going outside London or I get nervous going to this place because I don't think I'm going to be welcome there. Do you have that? I get nervous going to particular types of gigs. I think we live in a time now where geographical differences are not as significant as social and class differences, you know. Like, so there are clubs in York and Manchester where I feel more comfortable than certain clubs in London. I'd rather perform at the York Hyena 
than Leicester Square on a Friday night. I, I, I've been in this long enough to know that it's not really the geography that, that affects a gig, it's the type of person who goes. And there are those types of people all over the country. Do you think it's good for you to, get, to have bad gigs? Oh, yeah, it's definitely good. You have to learn how to deal with it. Yeah, you have to learn how to deal with it. You get stronger every time. It's like getting uh, chicken pox. You know, you try and get chicken pox as many times in your life as you can so that you don't get it again. No, I, it doesn't make sense. No, I, you, <laughs> every, time, every time you bomb, you harden a little and you become stronger and you become funnier. That's the idea. I think that is true broadly. Can you tell everyone here about why you hate Tom Hiddleston so much? Yes, I appeared on Room 101 recently, and I put Tom Hiddleston. I tried to put Tom Hiddleston into Room 101, and he didn't go in. Well, Frank Skinner came. His to head his aid. was too big. His, his <laughs> ego is too large to fit into the tube. Yeah, I just said that in yeah, the day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm that's not. good. I think he's a, a terrible human being. I think he epitomizes the the problem of um, representation in Hollywood and TV. Because, and I say this on Room 101, we don't need Tom Hiddleston, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Eddie Redmayne. They're all the same person, really. They all, they all satisfy the same function. Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, yeah, he can get top spot. Even if he's not around, then get Redmayne in. And then if he's not around, don't make the film. So Hiddleston's I, I, your number three. Hiddleston shouldn't... I, I, he's a dreadful, dreadful man. He's really... He's so unaware of himself. He will start singing when he hasn't been asked. He does impressions of people in front of them and then expects them to be... He's he just did a wonderfully never... awful one with Robert De Niro. Yeah. Of on, Robert De Niro. On Graham Norton. He did yeah. an impression of Robert De Niro yeah, to I Robert De Niro. recovered from that. Yeah, but it's interesting having to watch Robert De Niro have to be polite. I did, that's it's something we never have way. seen him do before. How does Robert De Niro have to be polite awkwardly? This would be interesting. But representation is, is a big theme of your work generally. So there are lots of Tom Hiddleston types in Hollywood and in our film industry. There aren't a lot of East Asian parts to play if you're no. an actor. Is it, do you think it's easier being a comedian because you can cast yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't get cast in much at all because of how I look, which is fine. I'm not going to start you know, complaining is about it. Is it a help? Does it help? It, it, I think it helps as much as it hinders. I think, I think it, catch, it cancels itself out. I think I've lost out on as many opportunities as I've been granted um, by tokenism. So it's balanced out, I think. So I'm neither angry nor guilty. But I think that's changing slightly now with films like you know, Crazy Rich Asians coming out. That's expected to spark a new craze in the West for more East Asian-led films. But I have, they have to be good. I, I'm not... You know, I don't... I don't a couple of projects have been pushed through with focusing on East Asian people here in the UK that have, just, that have been terrible. And that does more damage than good because it gives people an excuse not to make stuff with East Asian people. So yeah, it has to be the right thing. Yeah, it makes it feel like tokenism. Yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you're coming from an interesting perspective because you spent much of your life outside the UK. Is that mm -hmm. right? Were, yeah. you, were you about 16 when you moved back? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Malaysia. Um, I was there until 16 and then moved to the UK to do A-levels. Did you feel kind of like an outsider when you were here doing your A-levels? Uh, was it easy to fit in? It was, it was a funny experience because growing up in Malaysia, I always felt like an outsider because I look white there. And so I thought, oh, when I move to the UK, I'll finally feel at home. And I moved to the UK, and I was like, oh, shit, I'm really Asian. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so I'm, I'm, I'm always on the outside. But that really helps with being a comedian because it gives you a, an objective perspective 
on the world, and I think it gives you a clearer outlook to, to not have those default allegiances to any group. There's a stereotype stand-up comedians um, thrive on being angry. Do you agree with that? Mm, no, I don't think so. I, I'm, not, I'm not angry. I'm really not very angry at all. I, I, How would you describe your general mood? My general mood is... Uh, my general mood is a kind of impatient apathy, I think. I, That's a bit like anger, isn't it? Yeah, I actually come to think a bit. I'm constantly furious now I think about it. <laughs> is you this don't session, seem is angry. this podcast making you angrier? Um, no, no, I quite like this. This is quite nice. Okay. Nothing about this is making me. Well, we can keep going. Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> I've got nothing else to do. I was kind of hoping this would <laughs> no fill one my else day. Does either. Um, perhaps you'd like to um, tell everyone about how much uh, you identify with the superhero Batman. Oh, I used to. Not anymore? Well, he was... He's Surely a, you grow into the role. I, I was really into him when I was a kid because he was lonely like me. He was into maths like me. He was a superhero like you. He, yes, he fought criminals like I did every day. But now he's, he's not really a cool thing to like anymore because uh, there was a time when he was at least, you know, um, nerdy. Now he's mainstream. And then there was a time where at least his, the films were good. Now they're bad. So now an interest in Batman is neither obscure nor of high quality you know so I'm, I'm, I'm not really defined does that make you such. angry sorry yeah that makes me very angry now yeah thanks who's your, who's your current role model if it's no longer Batman my current role model is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs <laughs> I've been listening to his radio for yeah I've been Got listening some fans to, in the house I've just been listening to his radio for show I think it's fantastic I think it's great I think it's really good I think it's cool but my role model changes depending on what podcast I'm listening to there's only one podcast worth listening to um so Rabbi Sachs's morality <laughs> in the 21st century. Um, catch it on. Um, so the rumor is that you you have been busily conquering America. Is is that true? If by conquering you mean going for a few days, yeah, I went there for a few Can days. Can you conquer it in a few days? No, I I I, I, I recorded a, a mini Netflix special. Netflix is a series of mini specials, are 15 minutes long. But now they're recording. They've just recorded like 30 or 40 half-hour ones. With you, other you weren't asked to do the half hour, just the 15 minutes? No, you, no I start to uh, great after minute 16. I, I, I'm, I perfectly suited 15 minutes. But the problem with having special Netflix now is that there's so many, it's hard to, hard to stand out. But I was fortunately in the first batch of this 15, these 15 minutes specials. We filmed in Atlanta and Georgia, which was cool. And that's been out for a couple of months now. It's funny because Netflix is different from TV where something's on TV, you get all the response straight away. You get all the tweets saying, that was good, that was bad. But it's over in, a, in like a week. But because of the Netflix, the nature of Netflix is that you dip in and out whenever you want. I, I sort of have this soft trickle of response. What is the general response? Do you get trolled? Uh, not really, no. I've actually been a bit disappointed. I was hoping to... You're hoping to be trolled? I was hoping to battle some trolls online, harden, sharpen my teeth, but people have been unfortunately quite supportive and nice. I've had a couple of marriage proposals from India. Great. Um, much I might act on it. So, did, you, were they, did we attempt it by any of them? Uh, no, no, I don't like the heat. I, I, I grew up in a very hot country. I don't want to go back to another one, really. Maybe we will open it now to the audience. If anyone has a question for Phil, or, I mean, it's, it's very unlikely, but if you had a question for Grizz or me, we would also try to answer them. So, there's um, one of them. Good and question we have a music, music for it as well. 
Um, Phil, I, I was curious, um, you touched upon this in some of the questions and alluded to it in some of the answers, but the visibility of, of uh, Asian pe East Asian people in Britain sort of culturally is, is not high. To what do you ascribe this? As in, um, why do I think this has happened? Yeah. Right, yeah. I, it's, it's a t I think it's a two-part thing. Um, I think people who are part of a majority group in a country are not going to take interest in another group unless there's a good reason to. And I think East Asians, and Chinese especially, have always operated by... Like, keeping to we keep to ourselves, I think, East Asian people. You know, we're culturally active, but in a very quiet way, and we don't really like to shake the boat or draw attention to ourselves. And I think that's a very strong force in East Asian culture, and I think it means that a lot of East Asians in Britain um, haven't taken that go at speaking out and, uh, and trying to capture a place in the cultural firmament of the UK. But I think that's changing now. Um, this is a cultural thing of like, you know, and it's, 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 it's a shame to say because it's such a stereotype, but, you know, Asian parents are not as supportive of engaging in the arts or in an insecure profession as most, a lot of Western parents are, you know. But I think things, times are starting to change now and more Asians are starting to engage in, in the arts and the culture. Were your, can I just jump in? Were your own parents disappointed when after completing your engineering degree you became a comedian? Or were they delighted? Um, d delighted is a strong word. They, my, but my father was just glad I got my engineering degree. He was an engineer himself. He's glad I got my master's. My mum was, she, you know, she came up in the 60s or whatever. She was like, yeah, whatever makes you happy, but also maybe do an MBA. Uh, <laughs> So there was they 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 had a, they, they they were cautiously supportive and then and then the comedy thing started to go pretty well and now 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 the, I think they're they're delighted they're del they're, again delighted is a strong word I think they're they feel relatively secure uh, yeah they're happy I'm happy yeah, yeah also they're getting old they they're losing them. they you know they're they're losing their ability to keep track of things or or care how I'm doing <laughs> um, Phil Wang. Thank you so much for coming oh, on the thanks, podcast. Man. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you. No more clapping, but we need to finish it still. You stay where you are. And that's it for this week. Phil Wang will be appearing at... Huh? When's your next gig? Oh. Oh, no, don't come to my gig. Um, Phil Wang does not have a next gig. Well, watch. I'm currently... I'm, I'm on the current season of uh, Taskmaster on Dave. So watch Taskmaster and watch my little bit on Netflix if you can. All right. And next week we will be talking to the novelist Sally Rooney on the podcast. And we'll be celebrating the 20th anniversary of The Big Lebowski. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We're at facebook.com slash everything else podcast. Everything else is produced by Chica Ayres. We've been Grisenal. And our music is composed by Fatim. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 